Amen. James chapter number 5, if you would please. Starting in verse number 16. I'm going to read on down to the end of the, uh, through verse 18 here. Eli, um, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. Then it says this, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Now as we look at these scriptures today, I want you to specifically key in on verse 16 and notice that the Bible tells us here in verse 16 that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And then the following verses tell us how Elijah, who is a man just like us, prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not for three years and six months. Then verse 18, he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth their fruit. So obviously we can understand from this text that there are some pretty powerful things that our great God can and will do in, in, uh, in response to effectual, fervent praying of righteous men and righteous women. But I think the sad truth is that very few of us genuinely care whether we pray fervently or not. Very few of us seem to genuinely care whether we see God move mightily in answer to our praying or not. But I'll tell you, friend, just as God moved mightily at the praying of Elijah, our same God can move mightily on our behalf as well. Amen. And listen, folks, the Bible tells us here in verse 17 in our text that Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. In other words, Elijah was no better off and no worse off than you or I am when it comes to seeing God answer our prayer request. He was just a man. Maybe you ought to underline that in your Bible. He was just a man of like passions, just like you. Just like you. But Elijah gained his request because he prayed earnestly, the Bible tells us. Truly, I think we can be assured that amazing things can and will be done in this place when God's people really grasp a hold of this truth that the effectual, fervent praying of a righteous man availeth much. You see, we serve a God who can still move mountains, friend. And the means by which he sees fit to accomplish that and to move those mountains is by and through a praying people. Not a prayerless people, but a praying people. Like Brother Darrell was talking about so much this morning, we all say how much we believe that, but yet there's no response in relation to that. We say, oh, God can do great things in relation to prayer. And God can, can the, the right praying of the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, sure, it avails much. It does great things. And yet we don't pray. Or we don't fervently pray. There's something wrong with that, friend. Listen, the effectual fervent praying of a righteous man, it avails much. That ought to cause us to pray. And that ought not only cause us to pray, it ought to cause us to pray again and to pray again. 
You see, we serve a God who can still move those mountains. And as I said, the means by which he sees fit to accomplish that, to move those mountains, is by and through a praying people. Now, if God's people won't pray, then I guess we can't expect any mountains to be moved, can we? If God's people don't care enough to pray fervently, I guess we can't see that it will avail much, can we? You see, he wants those mountains to be moved through a praying people, through a people whose hearts are perfect towards him, through a people whose hearts are set afire with prayer. It ought to consume your life, Christian. Not just be a minuscule part of your life, but it ought to consume your life. For if God will be moved, he will be moved by his children when they are crying unto him night and day, night and day, night and day, Amen. relentlessly, persistently crying unto God, earnestly, fervently, seeking to awake the mighty arm of their almighty God. And so as we consider this this morning, how desperately we need to be a people of earnest and fervent prayer like Elijah. I want to remind you of the power of prayer this morning. And God knows that this goes along very much with our Sunday school lesson. I didn't read through the whole thing. I answered the question. I wait to see what's brought out in the lesson when Daryl preaches it. God knew it would be what we needed this morning. But I want you to remind you this morning of the power of prayer. I want you to take notice of just a few of the powerful things that God did in answer to earnest, the earnest prayers of his people. And I'll see first of all, as I start thinking of this, I, I see first of all that he sends liberty to the captives. Uh, turn with me, if you would, to uh, Acts chapter 12. Really, I think some of you are probably like, when is he going to stop preaching on prayer? When is he going to stop preaching on revival? Well, maybe when we all get it. Amen. Maybe when we all get it. Okay, listen, Christians, I know we've preached on it, we've banged on it and banged on it and banged on it, but I know we're not there yet. And I know we're not there yet because I know, it, I know everybody's not on the boat of prayer, amen. May God help us all to be that fervent, righteous man or righteous woman of, of prayer that avails much. Can you even imagine if Elijah stopped the rain and broke the rain because he fervently, earnestly prayed? If a church full of people prayed like that, wow. One man can move mountains, think what a whole congregation of people can do. Oh, may God help us to see that there's still power in prayer. You know why we don't pray? I think oftentimes because we don't believe. We really don't believe there's power in prayer any longer. We are a faithless generation. Did not Jesus say that to them? Oh, perverse and faithless generation. And he said, when I come again, shall I find faith? You know what? We're living in that day. I believe that to be true. Wake up, Christians. The church is dead. It needs to rise to life again. May God come down and infuse life again. And if that's going to happen, it's going to happen when God's people start to pray. Amen. You know what? I, I think if I've learned anything over the years as a pastor, it's not better schooling that I needed. 
No, I've been trained that I've needed. More than anything, as a pastor and a preacher, I've learned, needed to learn to be a better prayer warrior. I've needed to learn how to better get a hold of the throne of God. Because I cannot be the preacher, the pastor, the man of God that I need to be without God. If I'm going to have that, if I'm going to have that, I've got to learn to get a hold of God. And you know what? If I need it, you need it just as much as I do, Christian, in your daily life. You cannot do what God wants you to do. And you cannot be what God wants you to be if you don't learn to be with God. Be much alone with God in prayer. So let us take note of the powerful things that God has done in relation to the prayers of his people. I notice, first of all, he says liberty, says liberty to the captives. Look at Acts chapter 12. And this has multiple applications, as you'll see as we get into this. But verse number 5 through verse 17. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison. But, I like that, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth... The same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and kept before the door, uh, a and the keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and the light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. The angel said unto him, Gird thyself, and bind on thy sandals, and so he did, and he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee, and follow me. And he went out and followed him, and wist not that it was true that was done by the angel, but thought he had saw a vision. And when they were past the first and the second ward, they came unto the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which opened to them of his own accord. They went out and paused on, uh, on through one street, and forthwith the angel uh, departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said unto her, Thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But he beckoning unto them with his hand to hold the peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, and he said, Go, show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went into another place. Now, as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers what was become of Peter. I can imagine there was no small stir. When God's people start to pray, there's no small stir about the matter. Amen. In this text, the Bible teaches us that the church prayed without ceasing for Peter in his bonds. 
And the Lord miraculously released him from his captors. The shackles and the chains, they just fell off. The, the doors and the gates, they were open because, listen, the church earnestly prayed without ceasing for Brother Peter. And God removed his bonds as he heard their cries. Uh, and listen, folks, you know what? I don't know what we might be facing here in this country. We've got a whole lot of democratic communists out there today that would like to put bonds on the church. But I'll tell you what, they may try to put bonds on the church, but I've got a church who knows how to set the captives at liberty, amen. And I've got a God who knows how to set those in bondage free. Praise God, hallelujah. Hey, listen, I've got a God in heaven that can still hear the, and answer the prayers of his people. Amen and amen. Hey, listen, he heard the church. Did he not when they cried out for Peter? And the bonds were removed and the doors were open, and he can do it for us as well. I'm reminded also of Brother Paul and Brother Silas and Philippi. And they were locked up in the innermost prison in the stocks after being beaten and going through a horrible ordeal. And yet we find that they prayed and they praised him in their prison cell. And in their bonds at the midnight hour, God so moved on the scene that the place was shaken and the bonds were loosened and the doors were opened because two men of God said, we are going to earnestly pray. And God moved in. Hey, wouldn't it be nice when we start to earnestly pray that God just says, okay, I'm moving in, Brother Bill. I'm moving in, Brother Ben. Amen. Brother Raymond, I'm moving in to Victory Baptist Church. Hey, went to God that God would do it. Amen. But you know what he does it in relation to the prayers of his people? And it won't happen if we, his people, won't fervently pray. You know, as I consider it, the truth is that bondage is not often just physical, it's also spiritual. 2 Timothy 2.26 tells us, or refers to those who are taken captive by the devil at his will. Also, Jesus refers to the woman that was healed in Luke 13, 16 by saying that Satan had bound her for 18 years. Before you got saved, you were bound by the devil too, I might remind you. And so listen, friend, the devil does his best to bind men and to entangle them into sin. But the Lord said, and ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Praise the Lord. Amen. You see, when a man will turn and cry out to God like the maniac of Gadara, the Lord will free him of that bondage and he will set him free. Amen. But I'm also reminded of that woman in Matthew 15, verse 22 to 28, that woman that cried out from a crumb from the master's table. She said, I'm just a dead dog, but I want a crumb from the master's table. Would you not grant it? You know what the crumb was? Her daughter was possessed of a devil. Her daughter was in bondage of the devil. The devil had tied that girl all up. And her mom was so broken for that daughter, for that child, that had been so constrained and captivated by the devil, that she had to just cry out to God. Oh, God, would you not just give me the crumb from your table, God? I just got to see a move in her life. Release the bonds. Touch it, God, because you can God granted her that crumb, praise God, and that little daughter was healed. Right. The bonds removed, and the daughter was 
saved from the possession of that devil. You see, Jesus answered her cry because this woman came unto him seeking his hand, seeking his touch fervently, fervently, earnestly praying and calling out to him. And so listen, folks, there, there is no bonds that are so strong that they cannot be broken in answer to prayer. We look at things around us today and we think, man, there's no hope there. There's always hope with God. Amen. There's always hope with God. We see the drug addict and the bonds of his sin and think there's no hope for that man. He could never get saved. He's so controlled by his sin. It drives him wheresoever it will. How could anybody save him? Well, God saved the maniac of Gadara, didn't he? Can he not save that drug addict too? Listen, there's no bonds that captivate a person that God cannot break. There's no bonds of any government that can be put upon the church that God cannot set us free from, that God cannot break. Because my God, in answer to the prayers of his people, he knows how to set at liberty them that are captive. Is that not powerful? He did it for Peter. He did it for Paul and Silas. He can do it for Victory Baptist Church too. And he can do it for me. He can do it for you. And he can do it for those of us who have lost loved ones who we love so, so dearly, who we desire to see saved, that are captivated by the devil, like that, that, that woman with that daughter that was possessed. Listen, they're not beyond the help of God. Just keep pleading with him. Keep crying unto him. God, I'm just a dead dog, but I need the crumb, oh God. Wouldn't you grab the crumb from your table? Because I've got to see you work here. Release them from their bonds that they might be saved. God still can do that. You believe? I hope you do. But you know what? Your prayer life will really reveal whether you do or not. Because... When we really believe, you know what? We really pray. We effectually, fervently, earnestly pray. And when we just rely on our own self and our own power and our own abilities, you know what we do? If we pray at all, it's very little. We think, I've got this. I can handle this. I'm doing just fine. The reality is we are not doing just fine, folks. We need some help. We need some help from God, and we need a whole lot more than we're willing to admit most of the time. So just humble yourself. Just say, okay, God, I'm at the end of the rope already. Just a dead dog over here, and I need a crumb, amen. Because I need to see you step down and do something mighty here. So notice, first of all, in answer to prayer of his people, he said, liberty to the captives. I notice also that he sends revival. And revival fire to his church. Look with me if you would at Acts chapter 1. Verse 13 and 14. We'll also read chapter 2 verse 1 through 4. Actually, why don't we read verse 8 first and then 13 and 14. It says, But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. He shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And then verse 13 says, And they went, and when they were come in, they were, went up into the, an upper room where abode P, uh, both Peter and James and John 
and Andrew, Philip, and Parmas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, Zelotes, and Judas, the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. So notice what's going on here. They're continuing in one accord with prayer, waiting on God. And then we move over to chapter 2. They're in the same room now. Keep that in mind. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now think about that. Boy, that was powerful, wasn't it? Listen, folks, think about what's going on in this text. We find this early church. They're looking for, they're longing for, they're just waiting for the, the Holy Spirit's power and, and fire from heaven to fall. And the Bible tells us that they gathered in that upper room and they all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication as they looked to the Lord to send the revival fire upon his church. And think about that. Sure enough, as they earnestly prayed, the God of heaven heard their cries saw that they were looking, saw that they were waiting on God. And the sound of a mighty rushing wind filled the building. And it filled the houses where they were sitting. And the fire and the power of God rested on the heads of those men of God. And they began to preach the gospel with power to the men of all nations that had gathered in Jerusalem. Listen, it wasn't just for them to speak a bunch of gibberish that they spoke tongues. They were preaching the gospel in all those languages so people would get saved. And the Bible tells us in verse 31 that 3,000 people got saved that day. Wow, that's amazing, isn't it? Truly God endued his church with power from on high. Just like he promised. And it, listen, folks, it came to pass as the church continued in prayer with one accord. That means that one accord means in unison, all together at the same time. Makes me wonder if maybe there's one of just one of us here that says, I don't care about praying. And you're holding back the whole rest of us from seeing revival because you say it doesn't matter to me. It's not the preachers praying. The Sunday school teachers praying. Maybe Brother Danny and a few others, they're praying. Doesn't matter if I pray. Well, it did here, didn't it? They all prayed in unison, in one accord together. It was when they all prayed in unison, in one accord together. They listened, then God stepped down. Then God started to move. Then the power of God came down and rested on the men of God and filled the house with the glory of God in that place where they were worshiping and serving. Would to God that he would do it at Victory Baptist Church. But you know what it came to pass in relation to the prayers of God's people? When they prayed in one accord. Could it be that maybe one of you here today have determined, I don't care whether I pray or not, and you're holding the whole rest of us from going on and seeing God work here in a mighty way. May God smite your heart this morning. If you were so hard and so cold and so dead, and you care not whether God revises people again. 
May God smite your heart. If, you, if you've grown so apathetic and so careless in your faith, do you care not that God sends revival to his church? Oh, would to God that we all had tears about this thing. That we all cared like Brother Elijah did about this thing. Listen, God can still send fire from heaven. God can still endue his people with power. At the prayer of Elijah, fire fell from heaven and consumed his offering. God can still do it, friend. At the prayer of Solomon, the fire fell from heaven and the glory filled the temple of God. And listen, God can still do it again. At the praying of the disciples and the early church, the fire and the power of God fell upon those people like they'd never seen before. And 3,000 souls came to Christ that day. Because there was a church that determined to look to God and call on him in prayer. And listen, folks, would to God that he wouldn't do this little church with the power of God. And you know, I believe he will if we will continue in one accord in prayer. I believe God would revive us again. So what about you? Will you earnestly pray? You know what? I could stop the service right here. The altar would need to be filled up already. You see what I'm saying, folks? Because there's a lot of us that just don't care. And even though I'm preaching right now and I'm harping on this, and I'm telling you how desperately we need this, there's some of you that are letting it go in one ear out and out the other, and you're hardening your heart, and you're saying, but I, I don't have any time for that. I'm too busy. I really don't care. I'll pray a little when I get a chance. But you're not going to earnestly, fervently pray because you've made up your mind, and you're holding everybody back from seeing God move in this place. God have mercy on you. Because really the reality is you need the chastisement of God if you just don't care. Hey, God help us. Listen, folks. We are so spiritually blind and ignorant and naked. We need help from God because we are just like that Laodicean church. And God told them to repent and get that thing straight and get that thing right. Would to God we would repent and get back to effectual, fervent praying that God would do something great here again. I notice that he sends revival fire to his church in relation to their praying. It's not going to happen by accident, church. Don't you dare think that it's just going to be like, wow, we won the lottery at Victory Baptist Church. We get revival. Amen. I wish it was that easy. I'd be going out buying lottery tickets every week if that was the case. <laughs> but it doesn't work that way. God very clearly states that those blessings are related to his people calling on his name. And if his people won't call on his name, then we can't expect it to happen. So notice here that he sends liberty to the captives. He sends revival to his church. I notice he sends also healing to a body. Look at 2 Timothy, uh, 2 Kings. This is a text you're all familiar with, chapter 20 and verse 1 through 7. In those days, Hezekiah was sick unto death. The prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, set thy house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Turned his face to the wall and prayed unto the Lord, saying, I beseech thee, O Lord, remember now 
how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart, and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. It came to pass, before Isaiah was gone out in the middle of the court, that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Turn again and tell Hezekiah that the captain of my people, thus saith the Lord, the God of David, thy father, I have heard thy prayer, I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will heal thee on the third day. Thou shalt go up unto the house of the Lord, and I will add unto thy days fifteen years, and I will deliver thee in this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. Let me tell you, friend, there is no sickness too great for the great physician. Amen. Amen. I think we oftentimes forget that. You know, the Bible says that Asa was cursed in his feet with a, with a foot disease, and he sought unto the physicians and not unto God. And you know what? He died of that foot disease because of that. I think oftentimes that's what we're prone to, aren't we? We say, oh, God can't take care of this. I'm going to just look to the physicians, and that's going to be the end of it. But listen, is he not the great physician, Christian? Listen, he is still able to touch the infirmities of our bodies in answer to our cries. He is just as able now as he was in the day of Hezekiah. He did it for Hezekiah in our text. This man was sickly, sick unto death. As he cried out, he saw God take and physically touch his body in a way where he was restored and gave 15 more years. We also walked with Jesus for 33 and a half years. And we watched and we see that those who were, sick, who were sickly and cried out to him, their bodies were touched, their bodies were made whole. You know what? He's not lost any power, friend. He's just as powerful now as he was when he walked the earth 2,000 years ago. You see, there is no sickness that is beyond the power of God. Even the text where we started today in the book of James, it relates the prayer of faith and this effectual fervent praying to, the, to God's healing hand. You read just a few verses before where we started today and you'll find that to be the case. And so be sure, friend, God can still heal infirmities and answer to the cries of his people. He is able. I think I heard that a few times during Sunday school this morning, amen? He is able. He's able, he's able, he's able, amen, right? He's not stopped being able. From the time of Adam to the time of John, through our days and through the rest of the days on this planet, he'll still be able, amen? And I might as well add, friend, that the church, which in my mind has become sickly, think about it now, the American church is sick, is it not? Yes. It's gone contemporary, it's gone worldly, it really doesn't care a whole lot of, right. about what God thinks or not. I mean, even have the Southern Baptist, the head of the Southern Baptist Convention coming out promoting the homosexual and abortion agenda and all this mess. You've got to wonder yourself, what in the world is happening? The church is sick, Christians. That's the truth. Amen. And you know what? When I think of that, the church that has become a sick body, listen, he is also able to touch our churches to make them whole, to heal them once again. Listen, God in heaven, the great physician, he can see that the American church is sick. He can 
can prescribe for our churches what they need, and he can revive us again. God is still able. He can heal an infirm body. He can heal the infirm body of his church as well. Amen. An answer, but again, remember, this is an answer to the prayers of his people. God chooses to work through his people. Okay? He answers our prayers in relation to our praying. No praying, no answers. Huh, that seems kind of funny, doesn't it? And yet it's not just praying, because we get religious about this sometimes, sometimes don't we? The vast majority of Christianity does not know what effectual, fervent, earnest praying is. We do our little petty prayers before we go to bed, and before we wake up, and when we eat our meals, and when we get in the car, Lord, keep me safe, give me your angels, amen. But to be much alone with Jesus, to walk with God, and to talk with him as Adam did in the garden, as Enoch did, who walked with God and was not for God's thinking. Very few of us understand what it means to walk with God like that. That's fervent praying, Christian. That's earnest praying. You want God to do something in your life? You want God to do something in your church? You want God to send healing to a body, whether it's a physical body or the body of his church? Hey, listen, cry out in prayer. Be effectual. Be fervent about it, because God is still able. Amen. And he answers in, in, in relation to the cries of his people. You see, he sends healing to a body. I want you to notice also that he sends fruit to the barren. Look with me, if you would, at 1 Samuel. <laughs> Chapter number 1. Verse 9 through 20 is the text. I'm not going to read all of it for the sake of time. But I want you to notice here in this text, it tells us, let's see here, starting in verse 9. Let's just read verse 9 and 10. So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord, and she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord God of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and will not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, that I will give him unto thee all the days of his life, and shall no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli marked her mouth. And I'm not going to read the, the rest of it for the sake of time. You guys know the story. You know what's going on here. Hannah was barren. Hannah couldn't have any children. She desperately wanted to. She, but she was unable to have children. So she comes to the house of God. And the Bible says that she's earnestly. And she's fervently praying. And she's fervently crying out to the Lord. And he hears her cries. And guess what? You read the rest of the chapter. You find out that he makes her the joyful mother. Of not just one child. But many children. Amen. You read also in your Bible. Of a lady named Rachel. A lady named Elizabeth, who were barren. Boy, it was a shameful thing. It was a, it was a thing that was so very distressing for the ladies of that day. And so also in response to their cries, the Lord granted them, heard their cries, and granted them children. In fact, Rachel was so burdened 
that she cried out, Give me children or I die. That was her cry. Boy, that's powerful, isn't it? Amen. Now, I'm so glad that the Lord can touch physical barrenness and touch empty wombs and grant children to the childless because I can testify to you today that I've experienced a blessing of that answer to prayer. For four years, my wife and I could not have any children, and now we have a full quiver. God turned our barrenness into bounty real quick. Amen. I know and can testify that God answers those prayers. You know what, Christians? I think it's time that we as Christians get burdened about our spiritual, uh, our spiritual barrenness as well. And we start crying out to the Lord, God, give us children or we die. When was the last time you were so burdened to see someone get saved? You said, God, just give me children or I die. For we are barren. Ben was born into the family of God quite a long time ago. I think it's time for us to see some new births. Amen. The Lord must grant the increase, Christian. And so we've got to cry out to him and plead with him to make this church the joyful mother of not one child, but many children. For God can give fruit to the barren. And so pray on, my friend, and look for God to remember us and to hearken our cries. That's what it says. You look at all these ladies and what does it say? When he granted them children, what does it say? For God remembered them. God remembered them and he heard their cries. Would to God that God would remember Victory Baptist Church, that he would hear our cries and that he would grant us children. Amen. Many new births into the family of God. He knows how to send fruit to the barren, but he does that again in relation to the prayers and the cries of his people. Okay. I want to send just a few more things and we'll be done. I know I'm running a little over. I want you to notice also that he sends deliverance for his people. If you would um, look at Esther chapter 4. And verse 14 to 17. And it says here, I'm not going to read all, all of this, just a short piece because of time. It says, if thou wilt altogether hold thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed, and who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther bade them return, Mordecai, this answer. Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan, and fast ye from me, and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. In this book, the people of God were being persecuted. Not only were they being persecuted, there was a wicked man that risen to power in high places named Haman who wanted to literally annihilate the Jewish people, God's people. He wanted to destroy them. But as Esther and God's people fasted and prayed and looked unto God, God miraculously stepped in and granted them a mighty deliverance. God was able to deliver them. 
like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that Daryl looked at this morning. Our God is able to deliver us, and he will deliver us. God granted a mighty deliverance. We also see in the book of Exodus, chapter 3, verse 7, and I'll not read it for the sake of time, but in that text, the Bible tells us that God raised up and called Moses to deliver Israel out of the bondage of Egypt because he heard their cry. He heard the cry of their people. That was why he raised up a deliverer. That's why he used Moses to deliver him out of Egypt, because he heard the cries of his people. And so listen, friend, you can be sure that our God, our Deliverer, the Bible even calls him that by name. One of his names is Deliverer. That he is looking to show himself strong on the behalf of his people who cry out to him night and day to grant them deliverance in their time of afflictions. Be assured, my friend, God can deliver his people again and again and again and again. And we can go on and on and on because God never fails to deliver his people. But again, I want you to remember, he does so in response to their cries. Had the people of God not cried in Israel unto God, what do you think would have happened? I think they would have remained in bondage. How, how come it is that we as God's people don't cry unto him? Well, we remain in the state that we're in because we refuse to cry out to God. How come it is that we're restrained, we're kept in bonds from experiencing revival and awakening and a, and a great moving of the Spirit of God? I believe it's because God's people, God is restrained because God's people won't cry out to him. That we would earnestly, fervently pray in unity as one together. Not just the preacher, not just the Sunday school teacher, not just a few select men in the church, but all of us together in unison praying for God to do something. I believe that it would be a mighty force that God would say, I've just got to answer that. Amen. Would to God that we'd all get on board with that and pray earnestly, fervently like Elijah. I notice here that God answered the prayers of his people in a great and mighty way. I want to look at one last thing when we finish this morning. Look with me at Mark chapter 10. And I want you to see an answer to, to prayer. He sends sight to the blind. This has a twofold application, both to the lost and to the saved. And I want you to look at this today. Chapter 10, verse 51 to 52. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? And the blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, and thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Listen, folks, Bartimaeus was in darkness until he cried out to the Lord to give him sight. And listen, folks, the truth is that the God of this world, the devil, he's, he's blinded the minds of them that believe not, and they will remain in that blind and that darkened state until they are willing to cry out to God and have their spiritual eyes open. You know what? Truly only the Lord can give them light that they may see. Only the Lord can open their spiritually blinded eyes 
And he will only do this as they, like Bartimaeus, cry unto him for mercy. I think also he enters in, 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 in relation to the cries of us as we pray for others to get saved, like that woman with the demon-possessed daughter. In relation to her cries, the devil was removed. God Amen. worked mightily and saved that child from that in her life. But this happens in relation to the prayers of God's people. And we see here also that Bartimaeus was made whole. He was given sight as he turned to and cried out to God. Listen, folks, Bartimaeus received sight because he wanted it. He received sight because he sought the Lord for it. He's received sight because he cried out to God to be merciful unto him to bestow it. And listen, friend, that is where you've got to start. Because until the Lord saves us and grants us sight, we have no basis to call on him for absolutely anything else. So if you're here today, you're lost, you're without God, listen, that's the first thing you've got to do. Give your life to Christ because you have nothing else to call on him for until you first become his child. But once he has saved you and opened your blinded eyes, we can be assured that he wants us to experience the power of prayer. And when we as people cry unto him, we truly can expect great things. You know, as I was thinking about this last concept about getting sight to the blinded, I was reminded as well about the words of Jesus Christ to that church of Laodicea. The church which very much represents the church of the last days, the church, I believe, in which we're living in in this modern day. And his counsel to them was, he said, you're blind and naked and miserable, right? He said, that's their spiritual state. And he, he said, I counsel you to buy of me. And he listed a number of things, but one of the last things he says, buy of me, I sell, that thou might anoint thine eyes, that thou mayest see. God says, I've got something that you need, and I want you to be coming to me for it. Because, you see, listen, the church, the Laodicean church, had become so worldly and so concerned about materialistic things that they could not see the spiritual things. And God says, hey, listen, you need anointing from on high. Won't you come to me and get it? Maybe that's your case this morning. You're so blinded by materialistic things that you can't really see what it is that God wants in your life. Maybe it is that you're so blinded by the earthly things that you're not really concerned about the spiritual things. I preached the message today, and you've sat there smug and good and happy. The message has gone in and out, but it never sunk in here. And you're willing to get up from the pew and leave from the service today and say, I'm fine. Why? Well, I would dare say if that's the case for you this morning, it's because you're still blind. And I'm not talking about being lost now. I'm talking about a saved person who has gotten themselves so tied up in the cares and affairs of this world and the materialistic things that are going on in our society that they have no time to think about God and what he wants in their life. And they're blind because of it. But you know what? Even you, friend, can receive new, fresh spiritual sight from God if you would look unto him and ask him for it. May God help us. We need some new sight here at in our church. We need some new sight in our Christianity in America today. We need God to work effectually and powerfully once again. And listen, Christian, it's not going to happen unless God's people get back to effectual, fervent praying. Not fancy praying, effectual praying. Amen. 
Would to God that we would determine to be those people and to do it in unison as one, as a church. I think if we would, I think we could be amazed to see what God might do in this place. As we all now stand to our feet, with heads bowed and eyes closed, I know I've gone over a little bit. The Lord's spoken to your heart to come and pray. I'll tell you what, we need some help, Christians. Boy, I want to see the fire of God fall on the church. I hope that's your desire as well. Would you come and just ask God to help you to be that effectual, fervent prayer like we need? Boy, we need to see God move in this place. We need to see God move in our lives. But it's not going to happen if God's people won't pray. Listen, if the Lord's spoken to your heart today, would you come and pray? Well, God's people need to be seen praying together in unison for these things. And I believe if we are, then God will move on the scene and work in our hearts and our lives. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, Preacher, the message spoke to my heart, but not because I'm saved, because, but because I know that I'm spiritually blind. And I've yet to trust Christ as my personal Savior. I've not asked Him to, to be my Lord and my Savior. I've not been willing to repent and give my life to trust Him. And so I know that I'm blind spiritually and I need to be saved. Is there anybody here like that today that can raise their hand? 